Live from the Old Church Concert Hall in Portland, Oregon, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. May the narrative be with you. May I have a student. When I was 16 years old, I lived in Sweden for a year as an exchange student. It proved to be a year that would change my life forever. Forty years later, I'm still discovering ways that it's impacting my life and now the lives of my family and friends. The whole point of an exchange program is to help young people to broaden their perspectives and understand different worldviews. And certainly it had that impact on my life. As a spiritual director and a counselor, I use an ancient tool called the Enneagram that does exactly that for people. Helps to understand different aspects of themselves and with other people. If you can imagine a big circle up here with nine points on it, each one with a number that represents a personality type, each one of those has a specific worldview with its own virtues and vices and what it values and what it judges as bad. And though they all are contained within a person, we tend to like shuffle them around and use some of them primarily and then others we put off to the side and some of them we put in the dungeons of our soul never to see the light of day. But whole cultures can have a personality as well. For example, in my imaginary circle up here at the nine up here, the nine is a peacemaker. And the peacemaker is the personality, if you will, of Sweden. It's driven by the need to avoid conflict at all cost. Sweden was neutral in both world wars. As a people, they value being soft-spoken and don't, raise, don't have any conflict and that kind of thing. But right next door to it, the eight is the challenger. And it's driven by a need to be against. Not only is it not afraid of conflict, but the eight can feel connected to other people in conflict. Kind of like people we have in public office sometimes. <laughs> but you have to, in order to stand in the middle where you can get a 360 viewpoint, you have to give up your right to judge all of these as good or bad and just let them be inside yourself. In my family of origin, I'm the seventh of 11 children. There are six boys and five girls inside 14 years. So together with my parents, we make 13 people. We could stand on this circle one and a half times around. And as you can imagine, we represent some very different perspectives. We have within the family both Ireland and Northern Ireland. We have devout Catholics, thus the 11 kids. We have Protestants, agnostics, we have Republicans and Democrats and independents. We have Western viewpoints and Eastern viewpoints. In our ranks, we have artists and accountants and nurses and teachers and priests and prophets and servants of various types. In a way, we represent a microcosm of humanity. And if you were to interview my 10 siblings and I independently of each other, you might think that we came from different families. You might even think we came from different cultures. Now, I, I believe that's probably true of most families or a lot of families. We just have it times 10. 
If you were to look at pictures from my oldest siblings when they were young and you see these little cherubs dressed in nice clothes and they're all clean and neat and tidy, and then when us younger ones came along, we looked like a bunch of ragamuffins <laughs> wearing hand-me-downs three and four times over. Our hair is barely combed even when they were going to take pictures, much less when they were incidentals. I'm sure there's lots of reasons for our different viewpoints, just like there is in a larger culture. You know, there's different world events, family events. We have different passions and things that drive us. We have what we value and, and our various gifts and talents. But we have this tendency to hold on to our worldview because it brings us comfort and safety. And to stand in the middle, we have to risk giving up the comfort of certainty. Tillbaka to Sverige, back to Sweden. There are a number of reasons why I was able to learn the language well when I was an exchange student. For one, I have a knack for languages and I also have a love of languages. I picked Sweden partly because I didn't know anything about it and I couldn't speak the language at all. But I also ended up with a family that was out in the rural area on a farm where people were more shy about speaking English as opposed to my counterpart students who lived in Stockholm or Örebro or Göteborg where there was a lot more American speak going on and so it affected their language. But I also, for me, I fell deeply in love with my Swedish family and the culture at large. And it felt like it went deep into my bones. Matter of fact, when I go back to Sweden, whenever the plane is landing in Stockholm, it's like these files pull up in my brain and within a short period of time, I find myself speaking and thinking in Swedish again. But there's another reason why I was able to retain the language and that's because I've had a lifelong connection with my Swedish family. You see, the year after I came home, two of my Swedish sisters, Karin and Lisbeth, came to stay with me for the summer. And it just happened to be in this little window of time when my brother Gabriel was home from the Air Force. He was planning on leaving to go off on the next adventure but by the time the summer was coming to an end, it was pretty clear he wasn't going to make that adventure. And the next year, I was heading back to Sweden for a wedding where my brother was marrying my sister. <laughs> I, I've teased my brother that he got a mail order bride because, you see, I wasn't your typical exchange student. Most of them came from wealthy or really wealthy families. Many of the students told me about how they had $1,000 in their bank account just to begin with for spending money. <laughs> my dad stuck 50 bucks in my pocket at the airport and said, good luck, don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> I had to earn my money the year before and part of it I was raising money with begging my uncles my richest uncle was a priest and he donated some money, but one of my brothers, Gabriel, donated some money towards it, so I told him he got pretty good return on his investment. <laughs> They've been married for more than 30 years at this point, and though 
Gabriel has spent really many months in Sweden over those years, and even more months have my Swedish family spent with them. I think my Swedish mom and papa have been over like 18 times in that amount of time, and other family members have lived with them. My brother has failed to learn the language, and this is something I've given him a lot of crap for over the years, because I love the language and I love my family and I want him to learn it and I want him to love it. And I want him to not be that American that relies on other people learning English and, you know, instead of learning the language. Not only has he not learned the language, but when he speaks to the Swedes, he talks like he's the Swedish chef and he thinks that they understand him better <laughs> if he talks like this. And no amount of me trying to convince him otherwise works. And our, my Swedish mama, she has a hearing problem, and so he thinks that if he speaks really loud and talks like this, that she's going to understand him. But it doesn't work. So several years ago, my husband and I went back to Sweden for my Swedish papa's 80th birthday party. We got there a week before Karin and, or Lisbeth and, and Gabriel came. And so on the day they were arriving, my other sister, Karin, and I drove the two hours to Stockholm to pick them up at the airport. And on the way, we were joking and laughing about a lot of things. But at one point, we were having some fun at my brother's expense. We were talking about his inability or unwillingness, is the way I saw it, to learn the language. And at one point, I turned to Karin and I said, so do you think people understand it better if he talks like this? And we had a good laugh at his expense. But when we got to the airport, my brother jumped in the back seat and I got in the back seat with him and the two sisters were up front. And he must have felt the tension in the air because I kid you not, we weren't outside the Stockholm city limits. And he starts telling me this story about how when he was young, he had a severe stuttering problem and how excruciatingly painful it was for him. And he prayed and prayed that God would take that stuttering problem away. He didn't overcome the problem until he was in middle school. Now, I don't remember my brother that way. He's seven years older than I am. I remember him as my handsome and studly football player. We would go to the games and I would say, yeah, that's my brother, even though I didn't know what they were doing. My favorite memory of this brother was when he gave me a ride on the horse that he took care of in the park across the street. It was a warm summer night with the moon shining and he was behind me and he's singing this song in my ear. And I just thought he was the coolest big brother ever. But he told me that when he got in high school, he started studying Spanish and he, he was good at it but the stuttering came back. So he stopped speaking Spanish. And then when he was in the Air Force, he was stationed in Crete and he wanted to learn the language. But when he started speaking Greek, the stuttering came back. And so when he married Lisbeth, he decided that it wasn't worth it to risk the stuttering coming back so he wouldn't speak. Swedish. 
And I felt like a heel at this point. When I was 17, I interviewed my Swedish papa's uncle Sven for a school project. He taught me something I'd like to share with you. He said, "You mer jag lever, ju bättre jag förstår hur liten jag vet. The more I live, the better I understand how little I know. <laughs> <laughs>